It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 120 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Since we've been sailing the edge of history here and there in the last few episodes, interweaving the HMS victory to the Dauntless... There was something that's been lingering in my notes for a while, and I finally figured I would throw it out there to the masses before we get started with today's breakdown. After all, we are in the midst of a treasure cave action sequence, if you will. Aztec gold and all that loose idea of buried treasure on Isla de Muerta. I'm circling back to Benerson Little and his book, The Golden Age of Piracy, regarding the real buried treasures and maps that permeate our romanticized version of pirates. So, like I said, I thought I'd share something with the masses here. Pirates did not bury their treasure on sandy shore or in hidden grotto, nor did they draw maps or drafts to find it. The real treasure maps were those that gave directions to the rich wrecks of Spanish galleons, wrecks that pirates sometimes sailed over by accident and spotted beneath the azure surface of the Caribbean. Here, among the corals and fishes of the sea, also lie in that last pieces of the puzzle of all pirate myths, the bones of pirate ships and those who sailed them along the Spanish main. They're not just... A pirate connection, but bones and treasure in Caribbean. And fishes. And fishes. All from Benerson Little's book. It was kind of one of the last paragraphs in his book. And so I thought it really had a tie into what we were talking about here. So I thought I would just share it with everybody. Give everybody a little reading culture there. Everybody feels like they are inspired and learn something. It's all related and gives us legends handed down over the centuries that eventually gave rise to, say, Pirates of the Caribbean. And now for our show. Now we can resume normal programming. So there was really no, let's go back for a second. There was really no maps where people are walking like big old humongous steps to find some buried treasure. I can't say that there wasn't some, but in general, it wasn't the status quo to do that. So would they do it there? They spent it. Oh, they didn't like keep any. Well, they put it in their 401ks, obviously, but then any extra, then they would spend it. Need something for retirement. Well, exactly. Then they would spend it. Okay. I'm sure some saved some and hid some and that kind of stuff, but the majority spent it just as fast as they got it. Because they may die tomorrow in a fight. It's a lifestyle choice. Yes. So are you all good? And now I can move on into the minute? You can start now. Okay. That's all I wanted to hear. I'm not going to... I may chime in, but you can start now. God... In the previous minute, Elizabeth Swan appeals and begs the captain of the motley crew for help. But that slippery blue and gold creature gives her the it's not you, it's me routine and kicks her to the Isla de Muerta curb. Norrington, after previously hearing Barbosa mention the word trumpet with his super hearing, closes the distance to the Dauntless and finally arrives in an attempt to woo Elizabeth. Mounting the deck, he fires his pistol, only to discover it was Kohler who caught the shot to his shoulder. I guess he missed the mark. And said strumpet was single-handedly engaged in penetrating the cave. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you said strumpet or trumpet. I said... Just, uh, just to mess with you, and then you said... Oh. Yeah. Ha-ha! 
The said strumpet was already single-handedly engaged in penetrating the cave. So there we go. Are you all good now? Good. Minute 120 begins with Kohler absorbing Norrington's pistol shot to the shoulder as he continues to rush for an attack. Skeleton Pintel encourages the cursed crew, Come on! As he points his sword forward. Stabbings, gunshots, and the usual melee continues between the cursed crew and the British Royal Navy. The minute ends with the action shifting back to the treasure cave. Jacoby lobs a grenade. I'm going to teach you the meaning of pain. Elizabeth Swan responds, You like pain? As she hits him square in the head with a metal spear. Staff. Spear, I think. And finishes up with, Try wearing a corset. Elizabeth helps Will turn her off the ground, and their eyes lock. Aw, love again. Yeah, kind of ended on a lovey-dovey note. It was a hint because of your brutal beatdown last episode, so... And how I was treated. So that's why I, I threw give that you in there. A that's subtle. Beat down? What are you talking about? You just didn't like my answers. I'm just talking here. We're not going to rehash that. I was just mentioning that, and you're uh, already getting back into it. No. I want to talk about the eyeball rolling across the deck here. Okay. That's all I want to say. No, just that's kidding. it? <laughs> I think the eyeball rolling across the deck actually took the scene. Did you? Yes, where Getty's sitting there, chase crawling on hands and knees, chasing his eyeball all over the place. As Took it's the scene or the whole minute? Oh, the whole minute. Really? Yeah. That's some fighting words there, lady. <laughs> wow. Yes. I think you'll probably be in the minority on that one. You think? Yeah, hands down. Why? Well, I think that Elizabeth being the hero is going to take the minute. But the Rigetti eye sequence... It's that really, well, there is some actual meaning behind it, if we really want to get into it. It's more than just this comedic pursuit of a runaway eye. Yeah. And I didn't think much about it at the time of seeing it for the first, well, countless times. I don't think I ever really thought about it too much until doing a minute breakdown. Well. And given the pertinent sequel didn't come around for another four years, there was good reason that I kind of just glossed over it. Because I'm just trying to... Give myself an out of why I never really saw this before. Yeah, I'm going to touch on a spoiler here. Well, maybe a baby spoiler since I won't go into too many details. But Rigetti's drive to protect and keep his wooden eye is not just a humorous bit amongst all this bloody pirate fight. But the context is quite striking when we actually get to At World's End. Turns out he promised Barbosa he would keep the eye safe at all cost. And that's because it's Barbosa's pieces of eight. Which, if you remember... And for those who don't, it's used to call the Brethren Court to assemble at Shipwreck Cove. That's what calls the Pirate Court together. The Pirate Lords, right? Yes. So it turns out Rigetti was just following orders and not being a complete, like, off-the-wall character. Well, mostly, but not completely. He was actually protecting this, say, valuable pieces of eight that Barbosa needs to help convene the court. So what do you have to say about that? So I guess in some weird way, it is an interesting takes a minute thing because it has such an implication later on for At World's End in the future yeah, movies. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's where you were going with that, though. I think you just like the comedy of it. You I do. Yeah, that's what Amongst I thought. Amongst all this fighting, you don't find this interesting. Brigetti is crawling around on his hands and knees chasing after his eyeball. Yeah, that's what's interesting about it. So there is that comedic relief. Because there is so much bloody battle going on. Well, not really bloody, but there is a lot of battle and fighting going on. That's been going on for a little while now. So to break that up, they throw in this kind of comedic moment, which works. 
Right. But it also serves a higher purpose for the movies because he needs to protect that eye. Yes. And we'll probably talk a lot more about that in the sequels when that comes up. But it's really interesting that that's where they kind of took it. And and I doubt that that's what was on the table when they actually did that. So they worked it into the sequel, if you will. Yeah. This eye when they realized, okay, Pirates of the Caribbean actually did well because they were on the fence about it. Is this really going to rejuvenate the whole pirate genre? Yeah. Because the last ones had been rather failures at the box office. So they just weren't sure. What was going to happen? And then once it was doing really well, then it's like, okay, we're going to green light two more. And then that's when they worked on Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. And then they can weave in that cool stuff. But exactly. if we look at it as one epic universe, then this is actually an interesting kind of pertinent scene because he needed that to be able to carry things forward. Otherwise, he'd sit in there. Barbosa would have slayed him down <laughs> for losing that. Or Did- we wouldn't have that later on. Did you know that Barbosa really didn't know what the wooden eye was until after the mutiny of the Black Pearl? When they mutinied on the Black Pearl. What? When they marooned Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Okay. Barbosa didn't know what the wood he's had it for quite a while. Okay. Him and Rigetti had it for quite a yeah. while. But he did not know what it was, what the true meaning of it was. Until after he marooned Jack. You're saying that Barbosa didn't know that that was a pieces of eight to convene the pirate court? Yep. How's that possible, though? I thought that Barbosa was the one who put the eye in there. No, they it was given to, to him. The eye was given to Barbosa. Yeah, it was given to him by an old captain. An old captain gives Barbosa a wooden eye. Uh-huh. Seriously? Yeah. That's the expanded universe. Yeah. I'd have to relook at the... Is that from the movie itself or is that based on stories that's all canon with the movie then? Well, it's Borea's piece of eight. So Borea was Barbosa's captain. Wow, okay. Okay, and then... So then he turns around and gives it to Rigetti? Because I thought... Well, he didn't know what it was. He was just told to keep it safe. Barbosa was told to keep it safe? No, that doesn't make sense. Because Barbosa knew when they get to Dead Man's Chest or in At World's End and they're at the pirate court. Well, he would know by then. He knew before this movie started. Oh, I see what you're saying. He knew. Just after he marooned Jack for the first then time. Then he finds out that that's the pieces of eight was. that he needs to convene yeah. the pirate court. Or yeah. when they can all put in their pieces of eight and that signals right. conven- convening the court. Yes. All right. I didn't know that. Well, how lucky is it for him that Rigetti needed a freaking wooden eye? I mean, Rigetti's sitting there, lucky. he loses his eye, and he's like, Barbosa's like, well, hot damn, guess what's in my pocket here? Got myself a wooden eye. <laughs> wooden eye needs a home. Seriously? Yep. Well, that's weird. We're going to have to look into that. So it also says that with this wooden eye, or his piece of eight, it made him the pirate lord of the Caspian Sea. Oh, very cool. So that actually ties in a lot of stuff that there's been some questions. So it'll be really cool to break down the other movies and we can start to break into some of this pirate lore that's happening. Get some of that background information. And it does say that Barbosa didn't know the meaning of the piece of eight. So he gave it to Rigetti for safekeeping as a replacement for his lost eye. And at one point in time, Rigetti and Barbosa lost contact. Well, that's a bummer. (laughs) Though they were reunited five years later. 
And it felt so good, when, I bet. When Barbosa was first mate on the Black Pearl. Huh. Well, that's some interesting twist. Can't right? wait to get into that stuff. It's kind of interesting. Thought you might find that. Yeah, I did find little it interesting. Tidbit interesting. That doesn't forgive all the other stuff that you've done, but it helps move you along that that needle. You've moved the needle a little bit, which is good. I accept your apology. <laughs> Can't use my lines. Come on, I'm the one who establishes all these lines here. You got to come up with your own lines. Really? You can't steal mine. Oh yeah, I can. Pirate, bloody pirate. You got that right. Arr! Speaking of the other kind of dynamic duo in this particular movie, we're Mulroy talking and Mulroy. Mur- Mulroy and Murtog. Who says it? Murtog and Mulroy. That's backwards. How's that backwards? Mulroy and Murtog. That's how it goes. Murtog and Mulroy. I don't even know what to say. I almost just hung up my pirate hat right now. <laughs> We talked yesterday about those little unexpected turn of events, and we get another one today. This time it's with our two Royal Marines, Mulroy and Murtog. There, are you happy now? Yes, thank you. No, I said Mulroy and Murtog. Gotcha! <laughs> I say that because at least for me, I got the impression, or probably better to say I had that expectation, that they would pop up from behind the rail, see the skeleton fight taking place, and then sink back down behind the rail and wait things out. Hey, me too! Even after watching it a couple times, I still expected them to sink back down. Yeah, so that's the question. They don't do that. They actually make like this pact between each other. They kind of agree like, hey, we're going to do this. And then they enter the fray and step up like the soldiers they actually are. What's interesting is that I had this preconceived notion about them that they were just a couple of, well, Rigetti and Pintels, off the mark kind of bumbling characters. But as I think back about it, we have been given... Nothing that would suggest they are cowardly and not up for a fight. Yet I was surprised when they did their duty. Right. That's bizarre. Me too. It's like this really strange thing that's based on previous movie biases with similar characters. It made me profile these two. (laughs) I gave them the stereotypical treatment for no reason and no cause. You you gave them the uh, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. Yeah, that's exactly what... Wow, that's exactly who they are. Yeah. Uh, didn't we talk about this? Is that why this rings a bell? No. Oh, you're saying you just made this up? Yeah. How dare you lie to me? Really? I thought we talked... Maybe I'll we accept didn't. your apology. I, I gotta trademark that one of these days. Register trademark. But in the end, they did exactly what they should do, and that's what surprised me. I was fooled. Damn you, Verbinski. Seriously, <laughs> you tricked me. And you're obviously on the same page. Yeah, I thought even after watching it multiple times, I still expected them to duck back down and go find a place to hide. Why are you actually ducking down in the studio when you say that? You're actually acting it out. You can't slip under the table when you're doing this. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, I'll take my microphone with me. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) You and your crazy antics. But seriously, that is the power of... Our preconceived notions of these types of characters, like you said, a Scooby and Shaggy yeah. type of character or an Abbott and Costello, whoever else we want to talk, would do that exact thing. Yet they step up. That's where we get fooled. That's that little surprise moment that I thought was pretty cool for the film. Yeah. That's some good film. Well, you don't there. expect Mattel Rigetti to be as brave as they are either. No. And that's where I was going to go. We almost would kind of play them off of each other. And have some of those same characteristics go back and forth. But they also aren't just afraid of a fight. Right. I mean, they are immortal at this time. That's true. But still. Yeah, I just, I see that them going into battle no matter what either. So I think that's strange though with Mulroy and Murtog. Murtog and Mulroy. 
There, are you happy? Or Tommy I Mulroy. Say- I even have it typed down that way if you'd like to see. If you show me your notes, I'll show you my notes. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> There's no getting into that. Wow, look at that. Rigetti's been covered. Pintel, kinda. Mulroy and Murtog. We're just on fire today. And Elizabeth, because we can now officially move on to Elizabeth, has now really fully taken on that role of rescuer and the will elizabeth transposition takes place yes right yeah she saves will from jacoby the full circle for both is almost complete not just in their relationship but in terms of transition to pirate and specifically here exposed as a hero as well she does get that cliche hero line actually ted and terry call it a cheesy hero line that's their official name for it they said it was one of the hardest lines to write in the whole script Because Verbinski wanted Elizabeth to have that classic hero moment. Being that the corset of death was the reason that the cursed crew came to Port Royal in the beginning, it was kind of this fitting return for the corset at the end of the movie as well. It's like a little cheesy, sure, but, you know, those are the lines we remember, actually. Exactly. It's got to be something to cliche and cheesy for a reason that we remember it. And all kinds of movies have that cheesy hero line. Right. It's that one-liner at the get to sound off at that becomes a meme on the internet nowadays well she uh she meaning Kira knightley is pretty proud of this line here actually a lot of them are yeah yeah because i even heard johnny depp talking about this line that was actually in the trailer and that was the first thing that he said that caught his attention and made him laugh out loud when he heard it try wearing a corset yeah from the trailer, and that was just something that he still remembers to this day huh. from the trailers. Wow. And also, Gore Verbinski, you know, is really kind of fond of it as well. So it seems like everybody is. And I know Elizabeth, as you just said, is, yeah. is fond of it, but she's mentioned it a couple of times yeah. out there. That's because I think she got to be that hero. She's always been the strong woman, but now she gets like the classic hero line. And I don't know if really anybody else has that in this movie. I don't I don't know. I can't maybe think of in one. the end. Okay, we can check the end when we get there. But as I'm of right there now there may be one or as of right two now we end. don't get it really. Yeah. There's lines and there's lines you remember and catchphrases and things like that, but not the cheesy hero line. She gets that. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's Well, we'll have to wait and yeah. see. But as of right now, she seems to own that. So write this down or remember this conversation. I will. So we can Revisit it? Revisit it in a couple weeks. Well, then there we go. We'll revisit it in a couple weeks. Oh, I did have something I wanted to circle back with Pintel, so I guess we weren't done with him. Yeah, I know. It's interesting that Pintel is the one who yells out to the crew to keep fighting and push forward. Because I know we were just talking about that they weren't the ones that yeah. seemed like the fighting. But he's the one who's actually like yelling out, like, come on, guys. Let's do this. Right. Because that's something I expect from Bosun, not necessarily Pintel. Even it's not taking away anything from Pentel, but it just seems Bosun was the one who was the guy who was commanding those. Did you see Bosun? I seen Kohler. Have did you see Bosun around there? Uh, yeah, I think so. Did you? Yeah, because I think he was coming after Gillette or something like that, and they swing. I don't know if that's this minute now that I'm thinking about it, but they swing that rope with the. That's the next minute. Oh no, that's this minute because he says, "Miai." Yeah. That's right. So it is this minute. But he swings the rope with that. What is that? I can't think of the dang word. God dang it. I just, I just said rigging. A pulley. With the pulley. God oh, almighty. Okay. Seriously. 
Talk about a brain on rum. <laughs> but yeah, he swings that kind of pulley in the rope. Yeah. And I think that's Boson who he misses. He because right, it swing. He throws it at him. Yeah. He dodges it, and then that's when it hits Rigetti. Yeah. That was Boson, I think, that he was throwing that at. Okay. We might have to look that up yeah, again, but I, it could have been. I believe it may have maybe, been Boson. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Another tall, bald guy. Clubba is in the treasure I'm kinda, cave. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. You bet you're. I'm not sure. We don't have to be sure. We just have to know that Scott was right. But I am not always 100% sure on this one, actually. I'll have to look that up. Then again, ending the curse is so close that they really can't taste it. So I guess it's like up for anyone to be fired up. And they all want this to end as soon as possible, this fight. So Pentel is stepping up to the plate here and commanding everybody to move forward. Come on, let's get the Dauntless. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The pearl is slipping away. The pearl's going. You're just the, making up lines no, here. No, the You're pearl. Just adding your stuff here. The the pearl is sailing away. I know. They got to hurry. So up. they got to. They, well, they, okay, they, they got to get up. the dauntless. They got to finish off these. Got to finish it up so they can go catch their ship that's sailing away. Exactly. Okay, I got you now. Gotta get Barbosa first, but yeah. There's a bit on the cinematography aspect I wanted to touch on too. More of a bit of editing. And I do like the back and forth taking place, not just in this particular minute, but in the last few minutes, especially the other day in the Fight Club minute. Verbinski and crew do like this superb job bouncing us from one battle to the next without us getting lost or wondering where we are or even which ship we're on. It's like these quick cuts that set a tone that this is action packed and there's all this chaos going all over the place. I guess that's for everyone, except maybe the Motley crew on the Pearl. Yeah. Everyone else is engaged in this There's battle. There's no battle going on on the Pearl. No, they're they're getting out of there. Yeah. But everybody else, it's like these really quick shots. It's yeah. Boom, from the Pearl you, to the Dauntless or to the Treasure Cave, and we're kind of shifting back over those. And that, like I said, it's not just this particular minute, but it's been over the last few minutes we've seen these quick edit cuts. And then the Treasure Cave, you also have the two different fights that are going on in there. Yeah, and that has those cuts as well. Yeah, so it's not just cuts from one location to the next, but cuts even on the same location from one pairing to the other that are doing these individual fights. And I thought that that was pretty snazzy editing. Snazzy. Because it wasn't just something that takes you from one to the other in this easy transition. It's like, could be just a really abrupt boom, boom, boom. We're just going from one fight to the other. But then there are moments where it transitions into something that breaks that up a bit. For instance, like a Rigetti deal or, say, an Elizabeth or something yeah. like that that can help break that up. Or, say, the Governor Swan or something like that. But in general, there are a number of fast-cut, abrupt edits. But then it does slide. Then they do slide in some of those extra moments where we can kind of take a little breather for a second. Yes. Because it does go on for a little bit. I mean, we're talking about it, which seems like even more than the movie, because we've been discussing it for quite a while now. Right. And at length. But even for the movie, it's it's a good series of minutes to go through this fight. It is. Across all of that. And that's really all I got for today. It's because I think I got a really full packed schedule for Friday's episode that I kind of kept this one a little bit lighter. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's full. <laughs> I may even just tease it a little bit. Is there history? Oh, kind of a history thing, but kind not so much. Well, it is a history. Yeah, it. I I should say it is a history thing. But it's not what you're expecting. Oh, yeah. I'm talking a lot of death and destruction. Wow. 
I'm talking death and destruction on a planetary scale. We're going to end Friday's show like bloody pirate style. I always like to end on those kind of notes. This one takes the cake. This might have to take the cake for that. Wow. So yeah, you have to stay tuned for that. Can't Some wait. Crazy... That's right. You can't wait. That's how exciting it is. Yes. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 121 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. And drink your rum. Well, of course they know to drink their rum. <laughs> don't have to tell people to drink their rum. They just automatically do it. They're pirates out there for crying out loud. That's what they do. <laughs> Heather! Heather! Pimey, she always disappears right after the show. Get me my grog, she says. Probably at the Faithful Bride Tavern. Again. Heather, are you in there? Bring me my grog, you scurvy barkeep. Mother's love. What are you doing in here? You always take off before telling everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. So get on with it, Savvy. I'm disinclined to acquiesce your request. That means no. I know what it means. It means you're getting another rum, and I'm thanking the listeners. Thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might feature your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. Now get out of here, you filthy bilge rats. Yeah.